Good afternoon. Welcome to Revelation Bible Study. We are in chapter 2, starting with verse 18 tonight. We will do the rest of chapter 2 this evening. If you have a prayer request, please put it out on Facebook, and we will, we will pray with you and for you as well. But at this time, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house, to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll stretch forth your hand here this day. God, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message, Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Lord, that you'll touch and move on this on this message, on this study, Lord, and Lord, that you will take it to wherever you need it to go, God. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the God, the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Thyatira is the fourth church in Revelation to receive a letter. There's only three after this. This letter, like the last one to Pergamos, had a very troubling start. Pergamos, if you will remember, started with Jesus in a sharp two-edged sword. This letter has another of the attributes of Christ, or characteristics of Christ, as seen in the vision of John. And that is of the flames of fire, eyes, and, and brazen feet. But what do these symbolize for the church of Thyatira then and the churches for now? The fiery flame for eyes relates to his penetrating and all-consuming fire for righteousness and truth. And his brazen feet or burnished brass feet glowing or shining for his desire for the spreading of the gospel and relates back to the brazen altar and the tabernacle and the temple where sin and sacrifice would be laid down at his feet. Ephesians 6 and 15 tells us, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Note this description of Jesus almost mirrors the description of Jesus that we saw starting in Revelation 1 and 13. The difference is that in chapter 1, he was described as the Son of Man, showing that he was a man and that he came to earth to, as a man to show us how to live and how to die. But in chapter 2, he is described as the Son of God. This shows he was God and that he comes with righteousness and judgment. Even though he had shown judgment or had alluded to, to judgment in two of three churches before, remember Smyrna had no rebuke against it. This church, Thyatira, was in serious trouble because God had come with judgment. If God was to write the letters to the church today, I think this would be one of the ones that he would rewrite. Mm -hmm. I realize that a lot of people say the church of Laodicea is the one that we are in, and I agree with that. We are lukewarm. But once we get through this study of this church, we'll understand that we are there as well. 
He starts off in, in his letter much like he does in all of the other letters. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. He starts off with something good. In corporate America, we call that constructive criticism. You start off with a positive and you end on a negative. So he says, I know your works, your charity, your service, your faith, your patience, your works. He starts off with saying, I know your works. He ends with saying, your works. And the last to be more than the first. To start with, like the other churches, he pointed out the good that the church had and was doing. Their works, charity, service, faith, and their patience was renowned. And it was recognized. They extended their love wherever they could. In James chapter 2 and verse 18, Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith and have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. We also know that he says that, you know, not by works lest any man should boast. So it's, it's not what we can do. Because in ourselves we can do nothing. But if we have faith, we can get up on a Thursday night and teach a class on Revelation. If we have faith, we can reach our hand out and pray for people. If we have faith, we can do all of that, not to boast, not to say, look at me, look at me, but to further the gospel. Because we're not here for ourselves. We are here to further the gospel. He told us the Great Commission. He told us to go and to preach into all of the earth, to all of the nations, and to every, every creature, every human, every man, every woman. It's not about works. You can't boast to others. Look at what I've done. Remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, starting with verse 29, at the end of 12 months he walked into the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, It's not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of the might of my power and for the honor of my Majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be of the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and give it to whomsoever. He will. God puts in who he wants to put in. He takes out who he wants to take out. So it's not for us to boast. Now we, we use that scripture and it is rightly used when we say that he puts in power and authority to those who he wants in power and authority. So that tells me that President Biden is supposed to be President Biden. I'm not trying to be political, but... As Christians, we are supposed to pray for both the Republican and the Democrat president, whomever it is. But he puts them in power. Why? I have no clue. I look back at 
some of the presidents that we've had, and I'm thinking, you know, anybody could have done better. But God put them there for a reason. But step back from the, the presidency. Where are you at? God put you where you are at. Hopefully you're doing good. But he puts you there for a reason. He puts in place who he wants in place. You may not be the pastor of a church. You might not be a Sunday school teacher. You're not, you may not sing on the platform. But you're a minister and you're called and you're supposed to be ministering the gospel. So he puts people where he wants them. Not so we can boast, not so we can brag and pat ourselves on the back, but because that's what we're supposed to do. When we get haughty, God has a way of grounding us and putting us in our place. But apparently, the church of Thyatira was not consumed with pride. It wasn't completely eaten up. But why did, so why did God come with judgment? Notwithstanding, verse 20, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Jezebel rears her evil head once again. This is not Ahab's wife from the Old Testament, from 1 Kings. This is a new Jezebel. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if the woman's name was actually Jezebel, but she had the spirit of Jezebel. She had the attitude of Jezebel. And she had just the, well, I'm going to say it like I want to, the stupidity of Jezebel. Jezebel rears her ugly head once again. Oh, no, again, this is not Ahab's wife that we read so much about in the Old Testament in King, 1 Kings 16, verses 31 and 33. And it came to pass, this had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithabel, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal, in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Now there's something to be proud of. I'm more evil than anybody else. Whether this woman in Thyatira was named Jezebel is not important. She came in the spirit of Jezebel. Queen Jezebel and King Ahab was known as the worst rulers of Israel, and they were pure wicked. She even had a man killed just because Ahab wanted his property, and the guy would not sell it. This woman in the spirit of Jezebel was also evil and had self-proclaimed herself a prophetess. We know that because in the scripture it says, which calleth herself a prophetess. You can call yourself what you want to. Doesn't make it so. I can say that I'm tall and good looking, handsome and all this stuff, but that don't make it right. That don't make it so. 
she's calling herself a prophetess to give more credence to what she was teaching and instructing. She was literally leading this church astray and was causing them to eat idols' food. The fornication or sexual immorality that the church allowed and did not speak against had apparently been going on for some time. After a while of turning a blind eye and overlooking sin, you get to where you no longer see it. You get blind to it. There is nothing wrong with women teachers, preachers, and evangelists. But like anyone who is in ministry, and that is all of us, we will be held accountable for everything said or done and not said or not done. Seeing something and not saying something is as detrimental to your ministry as anything else. We have to call it what we call it. Now, we have to do it in love. We can't do it in hatred. We can't do it in evil spirit. We have to call it what it is. If God's called it a sin, it's a sin. We can call it what we want to. We can say the sky's purple. Sometimes it does have a purple hue. But most people realize the sky is blue. We can say the grass is yellow. That doesn't make the grass yellow or the sky purple. It is what it is. As I said, I could say I was good looking. Don't make it happen. We have to be careful, though, not to turn a blind eye. It's not just a phase. It's not just growing pains. It's not just, oh, well, they'll get over it. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. No, you've got to teach them. That's why he told us mm -hmm. to train up a child in the way it should go. We have to be not only the instructors, but we also have to be the role models. Who is it that these young people are, are emulating and imitating? Look at who is top on the list. Singers, rap stars, sports players. They've got to see something in us and they've got to see Christ in us. The church of Thyatira was being overrun by their own blindness. They were being overtaken by their do-nothingness, their complacency. Now you see why I said, if God was to write these letters today, this would definitely be one of the ones that he would write to the church. Because we are complacent. We are no longer teaching it the way it should be taught. And I'm talking as a whole. We are no longer calling sin, sin. We're calling it do as you want to do. Live as you want to live. No, you can't. You do you. No, you can't. Our righteousness, God tells us, is but filthy rags. So when I try to do me, when I try to live me, I'm living a filthy life. That's just the gospel. So we can't turn a blind eye and constantly turn a blind eye. Verse 21 says, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. God had given her a chance, just as he's given us a chance. He did not just, this lady did not just walk up on the scene and him wipe her out. 
No, he gave her opportunities and opportunities and opportunities, and she did not accept any of them. God had throughout time spoke to this lady. He had set the true gospel her way and had given her ample opportunity to repent and turn from her evil ways and teaching. Not only had she led others to turn a blind eye to sin, but she herself had turned a blind eye to the truth. God often called the Israelites in the Old Testament stiff-necked, meaning stubborn and refusing to turn from what they wanted. Exodus 33 and 3 says, Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people lest I consume thee in the way. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. It is recorded that ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. This Jezebel was stiff-necked, would not repent nor turn from her pagan and idolatry teaching, and she was bound and determined to take as many with her as she could possibly turn. She is a form of the Antichrist. Chapter 20, or chapter 22. Verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. God promises to destroy her. When God makes a promise, he does it. He's going to destroy her and her teaching. But he also promises to destroy those that are following her as well. If they do not repent. I don't know where you go to church at. But if you go to church somewhere that's not preaching and teaching the gospel, it is your obligation to leave that church. Note, I'm not telling you to leave the church if it's teaching and preaching the gospel. If it is teaching and preaching the gospel, and there are churches all over the country and all over the world that still do that, stay there. But if they are not doing what God has called them to do, you are obligated to leave. You're required to leave. You're not to be around. That's why the book of Revelation was written, is so that we could understand that we have options. So that when we see these things take place in our world, and I think we will soon start seeing a lot more of these things taking place in our world. When we see them, we'll understand, hey, this is what's happening. And this is what's going to take place. We are to repent if we are listening to the wrong teaching. Even now, in today's world, in 2022, God is merciful and allowing for repentance. But if there is no repentance, sudden and intense judgment is coming. Verse 23 says, And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Killing her children or those that are closely following her. 
and those looking to her for teaching and instruction. That is her children. There is no such thing as a victimless crime. Sin affects everyone around you. No matter where you're at, no matter who you are, if you're living the lifestyle of sin, it's going to affect those that are around you, it's going to affect your family, it's going to affect those that you love or that loves you. You can bring all that to look to you down into the pit if you're not teaching and preaching the gospel. You can bring all that look to you. You can bring your grandchildren. You can bring your children. You can bring your spouse. You can bring your friends. You can bring whomever. Guys, you are the mentors. I am the mentor. We are supposed to mentor each other. We are supposed to train each other. Iron sharpens iron. If we are not teaching and preaching the gospel, everybody that's around us can fall into the pit with us. We see churches today teaching prosperity. And that with enough faith you can be rich without any cares. Is that the gospel? Is that what God told us? I believe it's contrary to the word. And I believe if we turn to 2 Timothy 3 and 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That doesn't sound like that I'm going to live in a lap of luxury. He said, in this world you shall suffer tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That was from John 16, verse 33. As a teacher and as an evangelist, I am held to a higher standard. I must not teach what God has not allowed. However, as a student or member of the church, you should not be willing to listen to wrong teaching and certainly not follow after it. And if you have my permission that if you ever hear me teaching something wrong from God's word or teaching something wrong about God's word, please somebody throw something at me. Mm-hmm. I look to my wife. I know she will. We've got to be accountable to each other. We've got to hold each other to a higher standard. We don't hold people accountable for their actions any longer. And I believe that is part of the reason why the world is going the way the world is going. This is the church of Thyatira. Verse 24, though, but unto you I say and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as not, have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put you none other burden. Thank God there was some remnants. Thank God there was some people in this church in Thyatira that had not bought into this lie of Jezebel, that had not bought into this teaching of idolatry, not taught about the, the adultery. And the adultery may not have been between men and women. The adultery may have been between God. You know, we don't like to think that. We don't talk about that much, but we always say, thou shalt not commit adultery. Sure, I should not have an affair on my wife, but I should not have an affair on God either. Think about it. As the church, I'm the bride of Christ. And no, that's not getting into homosexuality because it's not the same kind of marriage that we understand here. 
on this earth. But I am the bride of Christ. I am a part of the body of Christ members. And if I follow after an idolatrous teaching, then I am committing adultery and I'm breaking one of the Ten Commandments. I'm breaking more than one, but I'm certainly breaking that one. I'm also breaking number one, the number one commandment, I shall have no other gods before me. As a student or as a member of a church, you should not be willing to listen to wrong teaching. Don't even entertain it. Oh, let's just go and see what he's going to say today. Or let's just go and see what she's going to say today. Are you crazy? Do you want to wade out into a uh, shark-infested waters just to see what they're going to do? Or you want to wade out into a pond that's just full of alligators just to see if they'll bite? Or how about let's just uh, walk into that pit of vipers? There was a little uh, cliff where I grew up, a little rock outcrop, if you will, and underneath it was a nest of copperheads. They counted 30 separate copperheads under this rock. It got the nickname Copperhead Rock or Copperhead Cliff. I certainly would not, even to this day, I would not go to that and climb under that cliff because I know that there could be copperheads under there. I'm not that stupid. But yet, as a human, I'll sit and listen to the wrong stuff. I'll sit and listen to blasphemous music or watch blasphemous TV or read something I shouldn't read. Am I stupid or what? I shouldn't even want to entertain wrong teaching. And I certainly would not want to or should not want to follow after it. Fortunately for the church, there was a small part of the body that was being led or that was not being led astray. Others was holding fast. But just as an infection spread from a small wound that can eventually kill you, this wrong teaching was a pestilence to the church and needed to be dealt with quickly, and they weren't dealing with it. If you get an infection on your body, what do you do? You put some ointment on it, put some alcohol on it, go to the doctor, have it cut out, whatever. You don't let it sit there because all it's going to do is grow. And before long, the entire body's infected. We can't afford that. In this day and age, we certainly can't afford it. So you get a little bit of wrong teaching, you get a little bit of wrong music, you get a little bit of wrong attitude from the church. Well, that's just for the leadership. No, that's for anybody in the church. Because remember, we are a family, we are a body, and your infection can spread like wildfire. So I encourage you to make sure that you're where God wants you to be. Verse 25 says, But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. To those that are not following the wrong teachers and the wrong teaching, 
Hold fast to the right instruction. Leave that individual or individuals that are trying to lead you astray and follow only after God. Hold on to the faith of the Lord through it all. He says the victory comes to those that endure to the end. And he that overcometh, verse 26, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Hold fast. Revelations 20 and verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Psalms 2 verses 8 and 9. Ask of me, and I will give, I will, I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He's going to let us rule and reign with him if we endure to the end. We can't even endure to the end unless we have his help. We can't overcome unless we have his help. Second Timothy 2 and 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. We're not just going to be rulers or judges here on this earth. We're going to be rulers that reign with him in heaven. If we endure. If we do not fall into the traps of the false teaching. The ones that endure, the ones that overcome through the blood of Jesus will be made rulers. But more importantly, we will be able to make heaven our permanent home. 27, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I have received of my father. Christ received the authority to rule and judge over the masses from his heavenly father. God. Now Jesus gives us that authority to rule over people in the world to come. Note this verse is a repeat of Psalms 2 and 9 that we just read a moment ago. The rod is the rod of protection like a shepherd would use to keep the flock. But even now as Christians, we are to look after the young in the faith so that they can have time to strengthen their walk with the Lord. I've often said we can get them to the altar, but we leave them there. We can no longer afford to do that. It all starts, both good and bad, when you accept Christ as your Savior. 
When you accept what he done for you on the cross of Calvary, the good starts. The bad starts as well. Before you get to your seat, if you're in church, before you get up off your knees, before you even open your eyes, Satan's already putting those little seeds of doubt in your mind and in your heart saying, oh, you didn't get nothing. And everything's going to break loose on you. Everything. And it's for those of us that have walked in this faith for a while to reach out and to help those that have just accepted Christ. We are to be there. We are to be their teachers. We are to be their guide. We are to be their mentors. But sometimes, and most of the time, we are so busy with our own little world and our own little self that we do not have concern over others. We have got to stop that. Reach out to those that are new in the faith. He said that if anybody hurt one of the little ones, and I'm going to use my own words, it'd be better that a rock, millstone, be tied around your neck and cast you into the ocean or cast you into the sea. That's a twofold scripture. It is talking about little kids. We're to protect them. We're to take care of them. But it is also talking about youth in church or in Christ. You know, you may be 80 years old and just come to know the Lord, then you are a babe in Christ. You may be 10 years old, you're a babe in Christ. You start off on the same foot. You have to learn how to walk as a Christian, just as you had to learn to walk as a human. You have to learn how to talk as a Christian, just as you had to learn how to walk, talk as a human. And it's up to those of us that have walked this walk to teach you, to help you, to guide you, to pray with you, to pray for you. Not to condemn you when you fall, because, hey, we all fall. We all do. It is up to us to help you get back up. It is up to us to help you get on your sure footing. We can't put you there, but we can help you. And that's what we're supposed to do. I will take you to the tomb of Lazarus, if you will. Christ is standing there. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He said, roll the stone away. The sister went, whoa, wait. Hold it. It's going to stink. He's been there for four days. He's going to smell bad. It's all right. Roll the stone away. They rolled the stone away. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth, still bound in his death clothes. The ones that they had wrapped his body in four days earlier. He looked to those that were standing close by and he said something to them. And we don't ever stop and consider what Christ told the ones that were standing nearby. Loose him and let him go free. He, Lazarus, was not able to get the death clothes off of him. But those that was around him was able to help get those clothes off. If you want to picture it, it was like a mummy. He had the cloth wrapped from head to toe, toe to head. He barely was able to walk out. Christ said, loose him. When you go to the altar and you stand up, you have been released from death. You have been released from condemnation. You have been released from judgment. But we 
those that are standing there that are Christians are supposed to help you get loose. Because it's still there. And if it wasn't, you wouldn't lose your temper. If it wasn't, you wouldn't have those impure thoughts. Or maybe it's just me. Verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. Now there is a scripture I have I've studied, I've read it, I've just I've read over it and read over it and read over it. And until we really got into this Bible study, I kind of glanced over it. I will give him the morning star. What does that mean? Here we come. This is an enigma, a mystery. No one is really certain what giving him the morning star means. It is one of the sayings of Revelation that now is purely conjecture. We don't really know what this means, but we have a good idea. Let's examine it a little. Let's get to the understanding of the statement. What is the morning star? Most of the time, the morning star is not even a star. It is the planet Venus which is the brightest object in the sky right after the sun and moon. It can also sometimes be the dog star of Cirrus, which is also a very bright star. Christ himself is called the morning star in Revelation 22 and 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So is Christ telling those that overcome that he will give them himself? Yes, in a way he is. And I believe that is exactly what he's saying. The morning star shines in the dark right before sunrise, and it held different superstitions and beliefs with various cultures. The sun has not quite risen, but it is getting a little lighter, so only the brightest mm -hmm. stars can still be seen. In this dark and troubled world, let our light so shine that the world can see us. But not us, the Christ that's in us. Until Jesus, the Son of God, comes back. Since the morning star, or the planet Venus, ushers in a new day, the Lord is also telling us that he will give us a new day with him. And in him, I will give him the morning star. I'm going to give him a fresh start. I'm going to give him a fresh start. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The church of Thyatira had started out for good. But like so many others in our world, they were no longer influencing the world, but the world was influencing them. We allow a little of the world to creep into our churches, either through our attitude, our desire to build better, our lust for popularity, or just because we get lazy. The world begins to intrude a little, and before long it is like the floodgates open. And the world pours into the church instead of the church pouring into the world. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Let's read more about, let's just study what 
Thyatira was, the church of Thyatira. It was 25 miles southeast of Pergamos. There is still a city at Thyatira of about 12,000 people. The city had been around since it was founded by one of Alexander the Great's generals. And if you wonder where Alexander the Great is in the Bible, that's that blank page in between the Old and the New Testament. That blank page covers about 400 years. Alexander the Great is in that blank page. However, the city has been destroyed and rebuilt many times. It was a military post, basically, for that general's cavalry. In the city were several temples, one for the Lydian sun god Trimonus, represented as rising, riding a horse on the early, on the early coins, carrying a double-headed axe, much like that of the Hittite sculptures that we saw in some of the archaeology digs in the Hittite cultures. Also, a temple, a temple of a lesser-known god, or goddess, called Boratine. However, tradition states that the third temple, the one to Sambeoth, was the deity that Jezebel mentioned in Revelation 2, was a follower of. It is this deity that supposedly taught her what to say and who was leading the church astray. So she goes and she worships at this temple. She gets her that's her muse, if you will. He, she gets her ideas there. Thyatira was also known for trade guilds or unions. This area was famous for the purple-colored dyes and purple-colored cloth that the priest and the royalty wore. Acts 16, 14, and 15 mentions a lady of Lydia, named Lydia, whom Paul met in Philippi. She would sell her goods, purple dye, purple cloth, there in the city of Philippi. Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. Hey, we see, we see Thyatira all the way back in Acts, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She put up Paul and some of the other disciples, some of his um, evangelists that was traveling with him. She was from Thyatira, Lydia, a godly woman. So we know that there were godly people in, in the city. The dye that she sold is now called Turkish red. Because the members of the guilds were also paganistic and celebrated in the pagan pagan. In the pagan feast, a Christian decree went forth. This decree would not allow any Christians to belong to a guild or fellowship with guild members. It was this degree and the animosity toward each other that set up the opposition to the Christian church and to the beliefs that they taught. It very well may be one of the main impetus that caused Jezebel to teach so hard against the Christian standard and lead many people astray. 
Now, I'm not saying that you should belong to a guild or a union. That's not what I'm saying, or I'm not saying that you should. Uh, what I'm saying is that there was such a decree went out that you couldn't even talk to members of guilds. You couldn't fellowship with them. You couldn't be friendly towards them. If you were friendly towards these individuals that were guild members, you were excommunicated from the church. That's a little harsh. Yes, I know the Bible tells us to come and be separate one from another. I understand that. We are to separate ourselves from the world. But how am I going to lead the sinner astray if I don't at least talk to him? I can engage them in conversation, but I do not have to engage them in friendship, nor do I have to engage them in a lifestyle. I can be friendly. I don't have to be a friend. I can be teacher, but I don't have to be a follower of theirs. Yes, he tells us to come to separate ourselves, but we do not have to isolate ourselves. Thyatira is now known as Akhisar. Most of the buildings, the residents are made of mud, but a few buildings of stone are still around, as well as the ruins of the temples, columns, sarcophagi, and inscribed stones. The population is made up of Armenian, Greek, and even some Jews still call this place home. The main industry is now is not purple dyed and dyed objects of purple. Its main industry is rug making. There is still a city. It's still going. I won't say strong because the homes are made out of mud, but they are still going. Understand, God is still in charge. God is still on the throne. He is still very much the ruler of this earth. We have studied four churches. We will start studying the last three next week in chapter three. But I hope through this study and I hope through this whole what we've done the last nine, ten weeks, nine weeks, right? Hopefully in the last nine weeks, if you followed us, you're, you're understanding a little bit more about Revelation. And hopefully it's not as scary as it once was. But you say, oh, we ain't got into the, we ain't got into the plagues. We haven't got into the judgments. We haven't gotten into the seals. You're right. We haven't, but we will soon. God doesn't want you to be scared of Revelation. He wants you to be aware of Revelation so you'll recognize it when it starts happening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life. And Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll enlarge the coast, Lord, of this, of this ministry, of this Bible study. Lord, not because of me, not because of what I'm standing here doing, but because it's your word. And Lord, the world needs to know what's coming. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch on those that are watching, those that will watch, God, that you'll stretch forth your hand on their lives. Lord, that you'll bless and anoint as only you can, God, and in when we, until we meet again, that you'll keep them safe. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Next Thursday, 7 p.m., we'll see you here.